Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's finally here, number eight, Oregon at number seven, Washington, and we've got all angles covered here on Talking Ducks. I'm Aaron Fentress, filling in as host for Jordan Kent, but I'll be joined as always by Joey Harrington and Anthony Newman, and we will break down this matchup all the way to the cleats the teams are wearing. Okay, that's an exaggeration, but we will cover a lot of angles. We will also have with us the Talking Huskies crew of Softy Mahler and Cam Cleland to give us their analysis and their predictions. All of that and more up next on Talking Decks. It's time now for our opening drive brought to you by Capital Toyota, your way on the parkway. And we bring in our panel, Joey Harrington, Anthony Newman. What's up, gentlemen? How you feeling this week? It's Husky week. This is what we've been waiting for for six weeks. All that other stuff with shenanigans. Now we're at the real game that matters. How are you guys feeling? I'm feeling great. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I can see that uh, maybe people aren't as excited as they should be, but I'm pumped up. I've been talking all season long about, eh, hey, won that game, won this game. They got to prove something against the Huskies. We're here. How excited are you guys for this one? Just, you know, you guys played for the Ducks, obviously, so I know there's some deep-rooted hatred for the Huskies in you, and you would love nothing more for the Ducks to win this game, not just to beat the Huskies, but because of the implications. We're talking Heisman. We're talking national playoffs, winning the conference. Everything is on the line to a certain degree this week in Seattle. Newman, well, for you me, got, you got to start with this one. Okay. For me, it's a, it's a little different because when I was playing against the Huskies, they were on top of the world, and, and we were trying to climb that mountain, and we were trying to knock them off. I only knocked them off one time when I was playing. It was my senior year. We beat them at our place back to back. We beat, well, excuse me, we beat USC and then we beat Washington. Uh, and that was a great win for me because it was, that was the rivalry game, the game that we wanted to, to get after Washington because they were always good. I mean, Don James had a, had a group of kids that can play. Uh, and so <laughs> it was a battle just to try to hang with those guys. It's different now. So as alumni looking at this game today, it's a different story. Oregon has some dudes now, just like Washington did back in the day. So it's a lot of fun watching this game. Joey? Look, this, this is one of the most unique rivalries, I think, in, in college football. In that, it has been two decades of dominance on either side of one play. Right? 
20 years before Kenny Wheaton, Washington was 18-2 and two against Oregon. National championship. You mentioned it. Don James on top of the world. Um, I mean, they, they, were, they were what we wanted to be. 20 years after Kenny Wheaton, Oregon win, Oregon is 17 and three against Washington. And not only did they, Oregon dominate to the, to the tune of, what was it, 12, 13 years in a row, but Washington completely fell off the map, right? They, they had the only winless season in the history of the conference during that stretch. So, I mean, you can talk about rivalries and back and forth and Oregon, Oregon State and, you know, those, those, you know, decade or so, so where literally everybody won at their own. It was a year by year by year, whoever was home won. This is like, there has never been a point in this rivalry when it's been even. There's never been a point in this rivalry where, where this is on the line, like, like the way it is this year, right? Two Heisman Trophy candidates. The winner of this game, not only in the driver's seat for the conference championship, but potentially in the driver's seat for a, 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 a playoff bid. Um, you know, the last year of the conference. Finally, this is the first time where both teams have ever been ranked in the top 10. Think about that. For the last 40 years of Oregon and Washington, never has there been a game where both teams were ranked in the top 10 at kickoff. And, and that, that absolutely floored me. So this is unique in that... Each fan base, for different reasons and at different times, has had 20 years to be insufferable, 20 years to be arrogant, 20 years to literally thumb their nose at the opposition. And it went both ways. Like, let's not be, let's not be you know, uh, coy about this. The year when Oregon had 172,000 yards rushing at Washington, oh, there were some, you know, there were some gestures in those stands. Um, 2007, so is, right? Stewart. What's that? That was 2007, Stuart Dixon. You know, I, I you know, you you're the you're the reporter, so you know the details. I just know the feeling. This is different, and 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 this rivalry is different for that, and this year is different because it seems like the culmination of four decades of absolute insufferable arrogance, and I love it. With that, now it's time for Made of Metal, brought to you by Leatherman. And here's some sound from Kalen DeBoer and Dan Lanning. I'm excited to see it this weekend. You know, expect that from Husky Nation and the, and the pride we have. I think, you know, just uh, the rivalry itself, but also just where we're at in our season and uh, what we have going right now and uh, the momentum this could continue to carry us through with uh, the rest of the season as we go through it. So um, we need Husky Nation uh, in Husky Stadium, uh, given everything they got. Our guys are going to do the same. Yeah, hostile can be fun. You know, I think this one will be one of those those environments where we there's going to be a lot of distractions, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of pieces going on outside the puzzle. But we're really focused on being the eye of the storm, the calm within the storm, and uh, I think our guys will handle that well. Okay, guys, we can go on and on about X's and O's and matchups and talent this way and that way, but sometimes the environment can make a huge difference. Starting with you, Joey. How do you think the Ducks are going to handle what's going to be a madhouse up in Seattle? That's how. The man <laughs> who motivated man. the troops. The man who had an entire state, well, maybe half the state if you're not you know, Beaver fans, ready to run through a wall for them, right? 
You hear, you, you heard Coach, uh, Coach DeBoer talking about, we need Husky Nation. We need everybody to, sh you know, we, we need the fan. You heard Dan Lanning talk about us, the eye of the storm. Just, just us, right? There's all sorts of things going on. Like, I'm envisioning the, the preparation. I'm envisioning the, um, the pregame speech, right? To be a fly on that wall. Coach Landing is going to have this team ready to play. And, and, and I think it's going to be, this could be the defining moment for this team and this coach. And Newman, you know, how key is it for the Ducks to keep their emotions in check and not be overwhelmed by what's going to be clearly a rabid crowd and not let things get out of hand early? Because sometimes that can happen. The team finds themselves behind and they're trying to come back in a hostile environment. Well, I know Dan Landing and the coaching staff, it, they're going to tell the kids, hey, it's a football game. It's, 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 we got several more to play after this game. It's one football game. Let, let's do everything we can to take care of business in this football game. But when it's over and it doesn't turn out good for us, we move whoa, on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't finished. you put that evil on us. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> that's, that's a part of dealing with adversity because that's part of football. It's a part of life where these young men have to deal with. So he's making sure that he, uh, they understand that. So when you're down in that football game, you're not overwhelmed. You can come back. You can keep fighting to the end. Because during the football game, you fight for four quarters. During the season, you fight for every entire football game that you're, you're about to play. And in the last one, this is not the championship game, okay? You're going to play like it's the championship game, but this is not the championship game. And these kids, you have, to, you have to understand, these kids are not robots. So there's, there's media stuff everywhere, and they're seeing it. They're looking at it. Oh, this is a big game. But they still have to stay focused and about, hey, it's about this game, and it's a faceless opponent, and we're here to take care of business. We know it's a big game. We know this is gigantic. But we don't want the kids to get overwhelmed in that situation. It's about playing right now against the guy in front of you. And then when that's over with, you go to the next guy. That's what it's about. Anybody Ooh, else notice? Newman's fired up, ready to the put tone on starts to ratchet up for Anthony. Like, he's coaching. He's ready. I, <laughs> I'm getting ready to go. Where am I going to put me in, coach? Let's go. <laughs> At the very least, even though Texas Tech is not on the level of Washington, that is a hostile place to go. That's a decent football team. They fell behind and came back. So at least you have something to lean on in, in that regard to maybe prepare yourself to handle the situation in Seattle. All right, that's it for segment one. We're going to come back in the next segment and talk a little Heisman, talk a little Penix, talk a little Bo. Up next, I'm talking next. Bacon. Bacon. Cheddar. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. Time now for Talking Numbers, brought to you by Par Lumber. And you can see right there in the graphic the latest Heisman odds. You've got Penix from Washington at plus 200, followed by the defending Heisman winner, Caleb Williams of USC at plus 225. And then there's Oregon's guy, Bo Nix, at plus 600. All those numbers could change after this weekend, given how big a game this is up in Seattle. But let's hear from Coach Dan Lanning and Coach Kalen DeBoer about their messages to their respective star quarterback. Yeah, I just know, know Mike well enough to know, just make it about us and focus on us. And 
Um, that's a, a ton of respect that we have for, uh, you know, Bo Nix and what he does. He's a great, great uh, athlete quarterback, does it all for their team as well. So, but uh, for us, it's for Mike, it's about just doing his thing uh, because we know the level he can operate at. It's, uh, it's elite. And um, if he just is himself and stays within uh, his, his means and um, trusts his teammates, um, you know, big things are always going to happen just like they have each and every Saturday for him. Yeah, I don't have to do any of that with Bo. You know, he's a pro. He, he it, it, again, and it wouldn't matter who he's competing against. When he steps on the field, he knows what he wants to do. He knows what he's capable of and uh, how he can perform. You know, I think this is why guys like Bo come to Oregon to get to play in games like this. So um, the, this moment certainly isn't too big. I don't have to give him any encrypted message. Bo, go out there and do your thing. That's all I got to tell him. Well, there you have it from both coaches. Heisman implications. Joey, you you were a Heisman candidate, I think, back in the day, weren't you? You, you went to New York and damn near won the thing. What does Bo need to do in this game, not only to win, but maybe put himself higher in that discussion for the Heisman? You heard Dan. I don't got to tell him. He doesn't have to do anything. Bo doesn't have to do anything. He's fine. He's, he's good. You know, no just advice. Just show up? No, just show up. Just be you. Um, which is true to a certain extent, right? What does Bo have to do? Um, Bo has to not worry about the Heisman. First of all, and if you're asked, because the winner of this game is going to automatically vault themselves up, right? This is a marquee game. This is college game day. This is the entire country watching, right? So the winner of this game, barring, you know, some sideways rainstorm where everybody's, you know, both quarterbacks are throwing six interceptions, um, is going gonna, is gonna to naturally vault up that list. But for Bo, I think for me is, I don't want to say he has less to carry, but he doesn't have to shoulder the load in the way that Penix does, right? For me, Bo just has to, you know, Penix has to be special. Penix has to be incredible. He has literally the 104th best uh, ranked rushing attack in the country. Oregon's top 10, right? Oregon is top 10 in both rushing and passing. They have the luxury of being able to, I guess, rely on the running game in a way that Washington doesn't. So does Bo have to play a great football game? Absolutely he does. You know, both quarterbacks, you can't be reckless with the ball. You can't be turning it over, Bo, especially on the road. You know, momentum, crowd, all that stuff. But I don't see this as Bo having to win the game as much as I would see that from Michael Penix, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Newman, what do you think? Well, from a defensive coach looking at this game, if I'm looking at the two quarterbacks, I would rather go against Michael Penix Jr. than Bo Nix. And here's the reason why. Joey said it. The first phase is the running game. There's a supporting cast for Bo Nix. They run for 227 yards per game. That, that you got to stop the running game. Because if you don't stop the running game, Michael Penix Jr. will be standing on the sideline because Oregon is controlling the clock. Oregon is running the football. So that great offense of Washington can't get on the field. Okay, it, 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 it's eating up the clock. The second part of that is I do not like facing quarterbacks that can run. Uh, it's a threat. And Bo really hasn't used that, you know, but he can. And it's dangerous as a defense because now you got to take a guy and worry about that guy, that quarterback. Well, back in the day, you didn't have to worry about a quarterback, you know, and Joey would kill us. He would tear us apart in the pocket. But if he had to run a little bit, Joey, we make, we make, we make, we make catch you, you by a shoestring. What are you saying? <laughs> we, we, we may catch you by a shoestring, okay? 
Bo Nix, we ain't catching the shoestring. He's gone. And that's the problem. And so I like, I, I like, you know, both quarterbacks are great quarterbacks, and they got a great supporting cast when you throw the football. But if I'm looking to play one of them, I'd rather play Penix than Bo Nix. So let me ask this. Last year, I think we all agree that if Bo Nix doesn't get hurt last year against Washington, they probably win that game. I mean, it's tough to say, but I think we agree they probably would have. And in that game, they rushed for 300. And so Bo didn't really have to carry it with his arm. But do you guys think that this year Washington maybe can slow down the run game enough? And do you think that if that happens, if they can't rush for 200 plus, do you think Bo can carry them as a high volume passer in that environment? I'm going to answer this right away, Aaron. And sorry to jump in, Anthony. The question is, is what on the first question? No, because defensively, okay. they're, 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 not, they're not in the same category as Oregon right now. They're, they're, if you're looking at it statistically, I mean, they have one player in the top 40 Washington in tackles for loss in, in the conference. Oregon has four or five. They have one player in the top 20 in sacks. Oregon has three. Like, there is a... They are... And it's ironic, too, because they're actually ranked higher statistically, like, you know, high 40s or something against the rush. And they're like 90-something against the pass. You know, the way that they make their, to make their money against the passes, they've got eight picks this year. They've got a great secondary. But if you're looking at a front seven that is going to establish a line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball that's going to get into the backfield, that's going to create chaos? No, that, that's not what Washington is. That's not how they're built this year. Um, can Bo carry them with his arm was the second question. Yes. Uh, if he has to, it's going to be a bit more dangerous because of that secondary. Um, and, you know, it's going to be a different type of game because that means things are not going well for Oregon rushing the football. I, 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 think, I think Oregon's, off, you know, establishing the offensive line, establishing the run game, getting into second and short situations, that's going to be the key to this game for all the reasons we've talked about. Being on the road, keeping Penix on the sideline, keeping the defense on. Like, there are so many things, so many more positive things that happen when you run the football well than if you put the ball in Bo Nix's hands and say, go chuck it and try and win it. Now, can he do that? Sure, absolutely. But I don't think that would be the right play. So aside from the fact that it seems like everyone would say that they're not going to stop Oregon's rushing attack. Newman, do you think that's really the best way for Washington to beat Oregon? Is it somehow maybe, maybe you stack the box, maybe you do what you can to try and make Oregon one-dimensional and take away that run game? Or is that even feasible? Well, you do. As a coach, you have to stop the running game. I mean, that's, that's the first thing when you play a football game, we start scouting the team is, we need to stop the running game because the running game can create a whole lot of other problems for you if you can't stop it, okay? And then if you're trying to bring extra guys in the box, now you're telling your DBs, okay? And, and, and Washington has a great secondary. I'm not, and I'm not saying that they, they, they don't. But still, you got a lot of dudes on offense as receivers for Oregon running around in space. And you got a quarterback that can buy time for those receivers to get open. That's why it goes back to me I don't want to play a quarterback who can escape the pocket, who can run and then just wait for a second while the receiver runs a route that's a, the part of the initial route combination and go, oh, no, my quarterback's scrambling. Let me take off. You can't cover dudes for more than three seconds, four seconds. I don't care who you are. Even Deion Sanders said we can't cover a guy more than three seconds. So that creates a problem. 
But if then you start running the ball again because you're thinking about, well, my DBs can't handle these receivers by themselves. I need to drop more guys in the back end. Well, now we start running the football. There's balance. That's what's the difference between the two teams. You, you've said it a couple of times here, Anthony. I, I, I think, you know, I, I keep coming back to Masoli when he dropped his shoulder, you know, and got that first down at Otson, right? Um, there's going to be, I, I, I think you're right. There's going to be a time or two where Bo is going to have to break contain. And Bo, you know, doesn't have to break off for a 40, 50-yard run, but he's going to have to convert a few third downs with his legs. And those are the kind of demoralizing things for a defense that we got him locked down in the back end, we get into the backfield, but now he breaks contain and gets that first down. Like, those are the kind of things, again, it's balance. It's hitting him with the run game. It's, it's you know, accurate throwing, ball, throwing the ball down the field, and then Bo breaks contains and gets one or two to, to really – to really, I don't know, you got to keep them on their heels. There's, there's a balance to Oregon's offense, which I really like, and I think you're, you're spot on. I think there's going to be one or two times where he does it with his legs. Okay, on the other side, looks like, uh, you know, Michael Panix is no joke. Now, Oregon's going to have Kyrie Jackson and Brian Addison in the secondary, which, which helps. But you're talking about a passing attack that last year put up 409 at Oregon. The Ducks never sacked Panix once. This year, this year, they have 35 completions of 20 yards or more, and 19 of those went for 30 yards, yards or more. A big play offense, obviously. Can Oregon match up with the receivers of Washington, the two Jalens, and then, of course, uh, Adunze? Can they at all cover those guys and get pressure on panics, which they didn't last year, but this year you got a defensive front seven that's produced 18 sacks, which is what they had all of last season. Because that seems to be the big thing. Getting pressure and then not giving up big plays because you know Pettis can get rid of the ball with anticipation throws with the quickness, and then those guys are in space and running free. Joey, let, let me jump in here real quick. Let me answer this. Um, you know, all you hear, you know, with these two teams about to play each other is Oregon hasn't played anybody. But then I look at Washington's schedule, and I looked at the teams that they played against, and and – the defense for those teams, the Boise State, they're ranked 112th, okay? Michigan State's 44. Tulsa's 97th. They, they, they really haven't played at anybody either. So it's kind of What about that, now, what about but, that but, Arizona but, D? Oh, never but, mind. But, but, yeah, okay, but now think about this, okay? We're not talking about last year's Oregon defense, right? Because it's totally a different defense. Right now, Oregon's defense is ranked sixth in the nation in total defense. I thought I was a misprint. I'm like, wait, what? Are you kidding me? Because of the pressure that the front line, just four guys are getting to the quarterback. That's the difference. When you can just get a four-man rush and put pressure on the quarterback, Joey, you can say this. I don't care how good your receivers are. If you don't have time to throw to those receivers, okay, because you got dudes down your throat, it's a different story. Now, Oregon has some DBs that can cover. There may be some matchup problems that Washington will give Oregon down the field. But if there's no time to throw the ball, Michael Penix Jr. had time to throw the football against Boise State. They're ranked 112th in the nation. Against Tulsa, 97th in the nation. It's a different story. Oregon's ranked 6th in total defense in the country. It's a different team. Yeah, um, I was... Just checking to make sure, again, like you saw those, those numbers, and they're like, wait a minute, is that sure? Oregon's 14th in the country in sacks this year. You said it, Aaron. Like, they have equaled, they're second in the conference, only behind USC. Uh, SC's got 20, I think, uh, and Oregon's got 18. They have five guys, five guys in the top 20 in the conference in sacks. That's the difference. 
You go into this game knowing, and, and I say this, like absolutely knowing from all the things that you said just a moment ago, Aaron, we're going to get beat deep. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> like Penix is too good. Those receivers are too good. There's, they are going to win. They have scholarship players too, right? They're, they're giving their kids cars too. Like that, that's, you know, that, that's the nature of this game. <laughs> they're giving their kids planes. Airplanes. Their kids there you plane. go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the difference between last year's 409 and this year's defense is there are going to be opportunities to get to them. You're going to get to Penix. And when you get to him, you got you, you to gotta strip that ball. There's got to be a sack fumble. You have to pre- – and even if you're not getting him down, pressure him into making a poor decision, given a ball that, that Kyrie Jackson can get, right? Those are the differences. That's the difference between last year's defense and this year's defense. You may give up 400 through the air again simply because they're that good. But if you can create some turnovers, if you can create some chaos, that's going to be the difference defensively in, in between last year and this year. All right, great stuff. Newman, you look like you want to go hit something. Why don't you go take care of that during the break? Up next, we'll have Cam and Softy from Talking Huskies to break down this game from their perspective up north. Bacon. Bacon. Cheddar. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. And whatever you do, don't turn us off because we're being invaded by some Huskies. Dave Softy Mahler, one of the more famous Husky fans of all time and a king of radio up in Seattle and former Huskies tight end, Cam Cleland, are joining the show to talk about the big game. What's up, guys? I can't believe we got you on. Yeah, I have no reason. Go ahead, this is, Dave. You go first. You yell at him first. No, I was just going to say, it's about time we class up this show a little bit. So uh, that's why Cam and I are here to kind of bring up the quality and the class of the TV show. So thanks a lot for asking us, Aaron. I know we've been ducking here for a long time, but it's a perfect week to get together, isn't it? <laughs> Fair enough, guys. Okay. This game, obviously, huge. Two top 10 ranked teams. Uh, just give me a little bit of a sense of what it's like up there the buildup for this game. Are people just jacked up or what? Yeah, man, I, I would tell you just out of, I mean, we've never seen this, two top 10 teams, Aaron. I think that just the reality of this game is going to sink in on Saturday at 1230, which, oh, by the way, dude, it's a traditional 1230 start, which just, it joneses me. It gets me excited because that's real college football. And that time you're on big time people, you're going to have college game day there. You're going to have ABC broadcasts. All of this is why these guys chose to go to a Pac-12 star team like Oregon and Washington. Those are the top two teams. I don't care about USC. They're, they're, they're the Caleb Williams teams. They, we're talking about the two best teams, and that's why this matchup means more. That's why these guys show up and they get recruited for this game and this game only. And If you don't have that hatred deep down in your soul, there's respect, but there's also hatred down in the soul for this game, and it, it just means more. Yeah, well, Softy, first of all, are your phone lines burning up or what? Yeah, Aaron, I'll just I'll just pick up on what Cam just said. The word hate doesn't get used enough to describe this rivalry. I know it's 2023. You're not supposed to say things like that anymore. It's not PC, 
But I love what Kalen DeBoer said Monday at his press conference. Uh, the hate is healthy uh, for this rivalry between UW and Oregon. And we're going to carry this hatred over from the Pac-12 into the Big Ten. And I can't wait for it, man. But yeah, I mean, I said this on the show on Monday this week that there's nothing else I care about besides this game. The baseball playoffs, no way. The Seahawks and Bengals, whatever. This is all about UW and Oregon on Saturday. I think whoever wins this game, Aaron, wins the conference. And I think whatever quarterback wins the game wakes up on Monday morning, number one on everybody's Heisman Trophy watch list. That's how big this game is. Fair enough. So I, I did minimal research and I came up with, in terms of games maybe on par with this or close to it, 2016 Stanford, two top 10 teams, and you guys went to the playoffs that year. And then 2000 Miami Hurricanes when they came rolling in and, and Washington smacked them down a bit. You agree with that, that Oregon is on par with those two games in the last 20 years? Dave, go ahead, my man. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a there's a big black hole on UW's resume where there really wasn't much going on at Washington for a long time, as you know, Aaron. Uh, most of that run was owned by the Oregon Ducks, which is incredible that during that run, starting in 2004, Oregon could not secure that coveted national championship while Washington did back in the early 90s. And if you guys want to know what that trophy's all about, stop by the Graves building uh, and then go by the coaches' offices before the game on Saturday. It's sitting there in a big old trophy case. Anybody can go check it out. It's free to the public. But yeah, this is the biggest game ever in this rivalry, and I find it massively coincidental and ironic that it's the last game ever between two Pac-12 schools, the first time ever in over 100 years that two top 10 teams are getting together. <laughs> well said. Okay, let's get to the game itself. Clearly, Michael Penix Jr., ridiculous. Last year, lit up the Ducks, 409 yards, wasn't sacked once. Uh, I could just say, we could sit and talk about him all day, but give me like another element of this game that you think is going to be huge for Washington to, uh, in order for them to win. Well, I'll take, I'll take this one. I'll look at it as, Aaron, I, I look at from what Oregon hasn't faced this year and what they're going to face coming into it, the number one passing attack in the country, but the best pass blocking line in the group. Now, Arizona did some really good things. We've talked about it so much throughout and how they dropped and how they tried to shell it. Now, I will tell you that Oregon's coming in. They have 18 sacks. They've got after the quarterback. Shadur Sanders hangs on to the ball more than any quarterback in this conference. So that was an advantage. But this is going to be the best crazy pass rush that Washington faces. That's the thing that I want to see is will Oregon rely on maybe a couple blitzes? Are they going to try to get home on Michael Penix? Because their offensive design has options that are 53 wide from flat to middle to deep. Now, if you do decide to blitz them, that means their tight ends, their backs, all of those plays, even in the Arizona game, they found outlets that are quick. Michael Penix knows how to get rid of the football based on his reads. I am super curious to see how aggressive Oregon is on defense. If they try to attack him with pressure, or do they sit back and play that depth, like seven and drop eight, like a lot of teams have tried? Real quick, they have 18 sacks. 12 players have at least a half a sack. Their number two leaders in sacks are safety and a linebacker behind defensive end Jordan Burch. So they're coming from all angles. 
Yeah, no question. That's a concern for UW. I think Cam would agree. The Huskies have five sacks in five games, and the Ducks have 18. They got a better pass rush than UW has. There's no question about that after the first five games of the year. But uh, tackling, I mean, Chuck Morrell, the co-DC for UW, Aaron said that the other day, and I totally agree. It keeps me up at night. It gives me stinking nightmares thinking about missed tackles on guys like James and Bucky Irving and Troy Franklin. This is not an Oregon football team, as you know, Aaron, that likes to move the ball downfield 50, 60 yards at a time the way Washington does sometimes. They'll dink and dunk you, nickel and dime you to death. And those linebackers and those corners have got to tackle because those backs are slippery, man. So those missed tackles, I'm seeing those in my nightmares, guys, before this game on Saturday versus Oregon. I want to ask Aaron a question, though, if I can just jump in for a second. Who is most likely to win the coveted Chris Hudson Award for the best fake injury in this game on Saturday? Who do you think that guy will be? Mm. Fake injury award? Uh, the best fake injury. By the way, how's Chris Hudson doing after that horrific injury he took in the fourth quarter of the Oregon UW game last year? Oh, you're, oh, you're going there. You're going there. Okay, okay. Uh, it's all part I, of the game I didn't plan. Do research on that. My bad. But I want to point out something you just talked about the running game. They Ducks rushed for over 300 last year. They had about 600 yards of offense, and that's one of the reasons why I think if Nick stays healthy, they would they wouldn't have been stopped. But you know, forget that. Here's what people are freaking out about up here: is those receivers. That trio of receivers, the, the, the two Jalen's and, and Odunzi. I mean, explain. I mean, Cam, you play in the NFL. You've been around great receivers. Explain just how good these three are. Yeah, these are they're they're three Sunday guys, and they might have four. And that's the crazy part about it. like you guys have. I mean, you have Troy Franklin, who is a fantastic wide receiver. I have a couple really good tight ends. Uh, this group of three. You come out, you bring Jeremy Bernard, who comes from Michigan State, and goes, who's this guy? The crazy thing about it is we have guys like Jalen McMillan, Jeremy Bernard, and Roma Doomsday, and Jalen Polk, who all have rushing touchdowns also. So you want to work out or worry about Jeremy Bernard in the backfield. The depth, like if you're going to man up, you're going to one-on-one a certain guy, or maybe you'll double coverage on one gap. That leaves one-on-one on your weakest corner or your middle or whoever your nickelback is. Good luck recovering or trying to figure out a strategy. That's why I use the blitz package scenario. Do you want to be able to get the ball flat and early, shallow crosses or quick? But these guys, I'm telling you, from from a quarterback's perspective, you're looking out there, it's an embarrassment of riches for Michael Penix, but it's also how he deals it to them and gets it early because they're yard after the catch guys. They're not guys that want to get down and get out of the way. They will continue to run the football. Aaron, I think that that is absolutely the number one matchup to watch in this game, strength on strength, right? Like, hey, look, I'll admit it. This might be the most complete Oregon football team that I've seen in a long, long time. I don't see a lot of holes right now on this team. They may not have elite talent all over the field, but they have really good players everywhere. Number one passing offense in college football versus the number five passing defense in college football. Who wins that battle on Saturday, baby? That's what we should be paying attention to. All right, so let's find out who do you guys think is going to win. And try, try and be objective. You know, step outside of your, your purple veil and try and uh, give me a legit prediction. Oh, okay, I'll go first. I'll look at this as this is an upgraded Husky defense compared to last year. We, we are the healthiest we're going to be going into this game on the season. So that means good. That means starters are back. Guys are healthy there. The defense wins this football game in my mind. That's what the Huskies have to be able to do is trying to find a way to stop the running game of Oregon. 
The offense, I don't ever fear that this offense is going to get started and score points. That has never been a fear ever since Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb took this game over. The defense has to find a way to get a couple turnovers. And anybody that watches football knows big matchups like this comes down to four to five plays. If it's a special teams kick or it's a fumble, anything like that around there, you have to be on the positive side of that. So that's Husky defense. I, I like this game right around where we were last year. I think it's 35-30. I'm going to go dogs, of course. Well, first of all, if I'm gambling on this game, I'd take the over, no question, 67 and a half. I'd play the over in this bad boy Saturday afternoon at 1230. But what I think is going to happen, Aaron, I think Oregon wins this game 500 to nothing is what I think on Saturday. Whoa. And I guarantee it. I absolutely that clip's going guarantee, viral. I guarantee Oregon wins this game. Because you know what? Look at the numbers, Aaron. Look at these matchups. The number six total defense in college football against the number one total offense, the number five pass defense, number one passing O. That's all good and dandy. But the number two total offense in college football against the number 62 total defense. This would be an embarrassment for Oregon to lose this game to Washington. Ducks win 500 zip, and I'm putting my guarantee on it, baby. No way Oregon loses this game. No chance. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. And as usual, each week we welcome in Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal Podcast. Welcome, Dan. How are you today? I'm outstanding. I, I feel this is, you know, when you're in a week ahead of a big game, there's just that juice that right. permeates every day leading up. What's better than that? Absolutely. But before we get to, the, to that game, I just have to ask you about something that went down in Miami because Duck fans were very, <laughs> very gleeful Saturday night with no game to how watch. Much, At least they how got much to time watch, do you have? Yeah, they got to watch Mario Cristobal make a blunder, blunder which, you know, I, I think Mario did a great job at Oregon. He's flawed. Most coaches are flawed. I hate when they bash him because it's not like he didn't coach the sixth greatest season in program history in 2019. That said, sure. when you saw it or if you watched it live or saw it later, what went through your head watching that madness? I heard helicopters. I had like a PTSD moment. Very serious Stanford. affliction, by the way. Very. I had college football PTSD to that Stanford matchup. Um, it was one of those things where college football is a complicated game. Time and clock management is a very complicated thing to navigate when oh. you're keeping control of a headset and dealing with players and situations. But... When you watch the replay, former Oregon offensive line coach Alex Mirabal, I don't know if you saw this, where he's yelling, Neil! Is he? He's yelling, Neil! To both Mario and to uh, Shannon Dawson, I think is the offensive coordinator for Miami. And they just sort of ignore him. I know the offensive coordinator has sort of taken the heat, but Mario has subsequently said, yeah, we definitely should have knelt. The fact that Mario, it came out that he never kneels, let a, that a, I think it was Dan Wolken discovered that the end of blowout games that Miami has had um, ended in like a four-yard run from a Miami running back that like they're not just happy to get off the field and move on. There is, I, I like to call it when Mario was at Oregon, gorilla ball, where it's just like he has a very specific vision and he's going to adhere to it no matter the circumstance, which I respect. Everybody should have an ethos and sort of lock in. But also watching that, I, I just, I had that that flashback to enjoying Oregon when they would win, but the manner in which they win was not always the most fun and satisfying that right. a 42 to 10 game ends up at 42 to 27. We're just like, <laughs> why, how did we end up here? And so I watched that and I said, 
glad to not have that as part of my my fandom anymore. Definitely. Okay, so Oregon fans are very elated with Dan Lanning. Whether he's better than Mario or not, we won't know for another five or ten years, but we do know that Mario won a lot of huge games at Oregon. This is by far the biggest game Dan Lanning has faced. What is your impression of this matchup at Washington it's- on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, the the Georgia game last year was pretty huge in that it was the biggest game of that weekend. And the yeah, they had no chance with, in that with game. Dan. So they had no chance. But there was no, <laughs> you know, you had no concept of what the Dan Lanning Oregon program was going to be then. Now you do, and so I I can't wait because one, you have a great quarterback matchup. Two, you have two top ten teams. Three, you have very clearly outlined strengths and weaknesses for both of these teams. And four, just atmospherically, it's going to be electric in Seattle. And so. The setting is going to be there. Game day is going to be there. You have recognizable names, which we don't always have in this sport with how much movement there is among players. But the fact that Bo Nix and Michael Penix have been household names for a while now, it has everything. It re- the, the game really does. You have the bad blood going into the game because of decades of rivalry games. So I, I can't wait to see, in terms of like if you're going to drill down to specific matchups, I think Oregon has a terrific shot to win this game. If Michael Penix is incredible and makes incredible throws, Oregon can't win this game. But he has to do that for four straight quarters. You remember the throws last year when he was throwing to the field side and Bennett Williams couldn't uh, make the play because it was just a perfect throw. There's no defense for a perfect throw. I saw a stat, though, that Oregon is going to play, or the the 22 players that uh, have played at least 75 snaps for the Oregon defense this year 14 of them did not play in this game last year. This is a new Oregon defense, both in terms of personnel, scheme, and just how how much juice they're playing with this year than where they were at last year in this matchup. And so the new faces coupled with the familiar faces, coupled with the actual stakes at hand in a, in a four-team playoff year, couldn't be better. One of my biggest pet peeves with college football is playoff talk before week eight. Can't stand it when people start mapping out the playoff field after you know three sure. games. After five games, some people were wondering already uh, where the Ducks could fit in that equation. But since we're here and it's such a big matchup, what would winning this game mean for Oregon's playoff hopes? Oh, it would be incredible. To do it on the road, first of all, is a feather in any team's cap. To win a top 10 matchup on the road And then as we look at the Pac-12, we now know Utah is kind of a half team because of their offensive struggles without Cam Rising, so I don't think there's a lot of faith in Utah. We've seen USC's defensive struggles, to say the least, which we can also talk about, so I don't think people are taking the Trojans super seriously as a playoff team, which sort of brings us to Oregon and Washington. So the fact that we have this matchup now, we could potentially have a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. It's enormous, and this is what... You know, these two teams already measure their seasons and themselves against each other in this game. And now because this is a measuring stick for the postseason, I think it's huge for either one of these teams just because, yeah, Oregon, I think, hosts USC and Washington goes to USC. And so that's still a measuring stick matchup for both of these teams. But it's clear that these are the two most complete teams right now in the conference. Okay. Last question. What's your prediction? I've I've gone back and forth. Ultimately, I... I really want to take home field into account and I, I really want to be, I think I, I want to be worried about Bo Nix on the road where he has not shined. He didn't shine on the road at Auburn. He didn't shine on the road against Texas tech. He did not shine on the road last year against Oregon state injured mind you with the, the asterisk there. Um, but ultimately I think defense travels. I think defense is translatable 
And if you have to be incredible, which I think Washington has to be incredible with as much as they are beat up on both sides, uh, Arizona did a nice job of getting Michael Penix off of his spot. And I don't think Arizona's defense is where Oregon's is. So I think Oregon is better at preventing what Washington wants to do than what Washington is able to do in preventing what Oregon wants to do. So I have Oregon here by four. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back. Time now for our legendary moments, brought to you by Abby's Legendary Pizza. You're going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The Ducks have the ball! Down to the 35, the 40. Kenny Wayton's going to score! Kenny Wayton is going to score! 20, touchdown! Touchdown! Kenny Wayton on the interception! Such a monumental moment right there. You know, before every Duck game, at least back when I was covering them, they would play that highlight and the place would just go bonkers and I would always just get chills up my spine. It was crazy because it's such a uh, fan love reaction to that moment. But going from the pick to our picks, let's Ooh, dive I in, guys. I want, you guys, I want to see if you guys can be objective. At least try in this segment to give me an objective pick. Don't just go full homer. Let's start with Joey. Who you got? Are you going with me first because you know that Newman can't be objective? Yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> okay, <gotcha. laughs> it's like It's like, why are you going? Okay. Um, so look, I think this game is going to come down to the line of scrimmage. I think that, you know, if you were, if this was a last year's team, Oregon team, at Husky Stadium, I think it's probably, uh, you know, maybe it's a 10-point game. They got, they got the spread at two and a half last time I saw it. I think that Oregon is good enough up front on both sides of the ball to be able to neutralize the crowd. I think that Penix is going to get his. I mean, that's, that's, that's a given. But I think that Oregon has done, has improved enough. I think that there are multi, and there's not just one guy. It's Dorless, it's Birch, it's Williams. It, you know, guys that are getting into the backfield and, and making plays. That's going to be the difference for me. I think there's going to be a couple turnovers that are created by the Oregon defense. I think Oregon's offensive line is going to control the line of scrimmage. And I think Bo is going to scramble for a, you know, for a first down or two. Some of those, those you know, end-of-game daggers. And I think this is going to be a you know, 38-31. Let's call it 38-35 just to keep it nice and close. Oregon win. I, I think, I'd, you know... I would love for Oregon to keep him under 30, but I don't know that anybody's done that to Michael Penix yet. So, so um, because I want to acknowledge how good he is, I'm going to say 38-35. All right. Newman? Well, we, you know, we spent a whole show talking about why Oregon should win this football game. <laughs> I mean, it's, what else should I have to say? I mean, really, I'm not being a homer. I'm looking at two football teams. And when you, when you talk about championship teams – they run the football well, and they play defense. And Oregon does, does those two better than Washington. It's, it's that simple. But you still got to play the game, right? We had not even talked about special teams. And I think Oregon gets the edge in special teams. It, here's, the, here's the deal. You're not going to stop great teams. Oregon, or, or, uh, 
Well, Washington and Oregon both have great teams. Washington is really good. You're not going to stop Washington, okay? You're going to need to try to contain them, slow them down. I remember playing against Barry Sanders. Our coach said, we can't stop Barry Sanders, who is the best running back of all time. But we can, we can try to contain him to keep him under 150 so he doesn't get the 200 yards rushing against us. So Newman, Newman, yeah. who has more negative yard carries than anybody in the history of the NFL? I don't know that. Barry Sanders. Oh, really? How did they beat, he how did you beat Barry? Much. That's why you, they took him out on goal line. <laughs> you, you got him in the backfield, and that's exactly, that's exactly it. You got him in the backfield. Yes, and, and, and you make some stops. So if Oregon gets more stops, okay, than, than Washington, and you put Oregon's offense back on the field again, then they win. I think they win by, by six. Okay. What, right. What's the score? The hundred and six to hundred, or what, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's gonna be in the it's gonna be in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to provide I need to provide something for the scamps in the comments section on YouTube to rip me about this week. So look, this this is a coin flip game for me, and it's in it's in Washington, which tips the scales a little bit. It's just gonna come down to something that happens. Like it's not even gonna be about the matchups and who's better here and who's better there. There's going to be a tipped pass that, that's picked, a dropped touchdown, a special teams play, a punt return, or a block something. Like, it's just going to come down to moments that we're going to talk about next week that have nothing to do with all this matchup stuff. That said, I throw out every game Oregon has played in comparison in, in, in analyzing this game. Colorado game, worthless, because in Colorado, bad matchup. We all talked about that. You had a quarterback that likes to play playground football. Penix is an artist from the pocket and getting rid of that ball now. You're not going to sack him very much. No one ever sacks him very much, okay? And he's got ridiculous playmakers that are all going to be playing on Sunday. I don't think Oregon's going to be able to stop that. I look at Tyler Shuck throwing for 280 and three touchdowns. Well, I got Penix throwing for 380 and five touchdowns, maybe at least four in this game. But I do agree that I think Oregon's going to put up points too. So it's going to be close in the fourth quarter, and then something's going to happen that you cannot predict. That has nothing to do with anything. So my pick, based primarily on the location, is the exact same score as last year, 37-34 Huskies. Uh, I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) 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 Uh, Hey, we'll see what happens, right? That's what makes it fun. All right, Aaron. I, I feel you. All right. Thanks for joining us on Talking Ducks. I will be hiring bodyguards this week, especially if the Huskies win. I uh, guess Newman will probably be looking for me with a very uh, long list of bad things he wants to do. Anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for watching.